When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Good morning, Trish. What's happened to your little Zoom face there? <laughs> well, I think you can see that I'm about 20 years younger. Yes. I want to kiss you. You want to get and look at my lovely smooth hands. Yes. <laughs> what is it? The Madonna, the Madonna filter, is it? Well, is what it, it is. is. It's I find I found a special filter on Zoom that makes you look <laughs> really young. And it's making me feel quite happy because I've been feeling a bit drab this week. But you know, grey roots. What's been happening? In oh, it's your just life? the lockdown, grey roots, no haircut, you know, that sort of thing. And uh, I thought drab, 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 drab. And now I am not drab. I'm quite pleased with my soft, silky smooth skin. What about your pussy? How's that? How's she been this week? <laughs> Margo. After, I can't have you, to you get can it in every wait time. to find no. out about Margo. Well, Margo's got a new name in the house because Neil, as you know, dislikes her probably about as much as you do. He's team bridie for Labrador. He's <laughs> definitely her. And uh, they have a sort of, not a love-hate relationship, a hate relationship. But he's now loving her. He's calling her the hunter killer. Oh, what, what did she do? She dragged in an elk or something, <laughs> moose, crossing Wandsworth Common. She a so. mouse the size of my thumb, so not quite oh. elk proportions, but he's so impressed with her, her killer instinct. So now, finally, after 11 years, he's showing her a bit of attention. It's quite mm. strange. And what about Pixel? What's happening oh, with Pixel? Oh, my goodness. I've had to start a series on Instagram called Not Her Bed <laughs> because... She is all around the house on my bed, which is not her bed and my new linen duvet cover. She is in the shoe cupboard, which is not her bed. She is on the blanket pile after it's been washed, which is not her bed. Mm. She is in next door's garden, which is not her garden after next door's cat. She is everywhere you don't want her to Mm. be. She is in the laundry basket, not on the dirty clothes, on the clean clothes. On the clean clothes and making everything a bit smelly. I think that sounds like the name of a children's book. Not her bed. Quickly yeah. write it. Quickly. <laughs> Money, write a book. Be a bestseller. T- yes. <laughs> Hello. Hello. Welcome to Postcards from Midlife. I'm Lorraine Candy. I'm Trish Halpin, and we're on a mission to help you make the most of your magnificent midlife. We'll be tackling everything from mind and body wellness to HRT and your sex drive. Lorraine and I are here to help you have a stylish second act and answer all your midlife questions on fashion, beauty, careers, relationships, family, and as always, the challenges and joys of parenting teens. Welcome, all you lovely listeners, to Postcards from Midlife, and a big hello to all our new listeners. We see you, we love you. Before we start, Trish and I want to thank you for all your support and your wonderful Facebook posts. It's been a joy to see our community grow over the past year and to know that so many of you are being helped by us to reboot your midlife years and begin a magnificent second act. Well, I can't believe how lucky we are to have all these lovely women in our lives. Can you, Trish? Well, well, I can actually, but uh, I'm slightly concerned because that's quite unusually pleasant for you. Yeah. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I feel you're turning a bit soft in your midlife years. Um, have they have they increased your medication? Is that, is yes. that what's going on? That's yeah, it might be. But no, to, seriously, to echo those words, thank you. And thank you to those who have joined our weekly Instagram lives on our Postcards from Midlife account. I think we have finally got the hang of doing them. <laughs> few technical glitches as always at the beginning um and also we want to thank all the guests and experts we've had on the show um over the past year if you have only just joined us remember our back catalogue of spirited midlife guests includes kate garraway Catelyn moran bobby brown tamsin althwaite beverly turner mike gale gabby rostin gabby logan meg matthews oh my god <laughs> trish breathe 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 <laughs> I don't want you to faint, mm. your little body there happen. fainting yes. in front of me. Um, we've also had many, many experts, including Dr. Louise Newson, nutritionist Jane Clark, perimenopause specialist Dr. Shazadi Harper, the wonderful cancer specialist Dr. Michael Baum. We've had the wellness guru Karen Cummings-Palmer, beauty experts like Caroline Hurons and Trini Woodall. So many wonderful people who've brought us the correct information on all the areas of midlife that you asked about. So if you haven't listened, uh, go through the back catalogue. There's some great episodes there. And uh, 
who have we got today? Well, we are, of course, we have another fascinating expert on today. Uh, we'll be meeting Maisie Hill, who is a women's health specialist and the best-selling author of the book, Period Power. Maisie will be talking to us about your hormones, and this is one for women of all ages, because not only is she a periods guru, she has written what we think will be another life-changing book called Perimenopause Power. In our How to Win at Midlife section of the show, after the interview, Trish will be testing out some tapping. Tapping. She's, look, she's wandered off. I'm talking to you. <laughs> she's going to be testing out some tapping while I'll be revealing what I learned in my 30-day yoga breath course. We couldn't be more wellness influencer, could we, Trish, with those no. two subjects? Well, we do like to try these things, don't we? Because it seems everybody else doing it. But first, let's get down to some jibber-jabber. And over the past few weeks, we've been feeling quite overwhelmed about the debate on women's safety in the light of the Sarah Everard case. Both of us have been moved to tears and as women and mums of daughters have been shocked by the discussions we've been having ourselves at home actually of what's been coming out. So we thought we'd talk it through here to perhaps spark a debate in your own homes. And make sure you listen all the way through to the end of this podcast because we've got a fantastic nostalgia noodle for you today. Well, it's kind of tricky, isn't it, Trish, to know where to start? So I'm going to go in on a fact. And this is a YouGov survey, which was conducted and it ran in The Guardian first, that 97% of all women in the UK have been sexually abused or assaulted. So that's almost all of us, isn't it? And mm. actually, it includes you and me, doesn't it, Trish? It, because it does. I found the week after Sarah disappeared incredibly, I guess, I suppose we'd use that modern word, triggering. And I wondered why apart from being so upset for her and her family, why I was just so upset, so mm. tearful. And then I realised it's because I was remembering a past of kind of quite a few incidents that were actually very upsetting in my life. Mm. And yeah, the same with feeling, you, yes. Well, feeling unsafe and scared. And it sort of, it kind of goes on a scale, doesn't it, from the kind of, the, the sort of daily microaggressions that you get yeah. as a woman, whether it's the walking down the street, the cat calling. I mean, we're going to talk about our daughters in a minute because that is a yeah. whole other world of, of pain. Um, but then it goes through to harassment at work, inappropriate comments at work, being denigrated at work through to the fear on the street, all of those things. It, it, we've all been pressed up against on a tube. I, I mean, there's so many different things. I mean, one thing that happened to me when I was quite young was I was in a nightclub and this group of guys were kind of standing there and trying to talk to us. And then one of them went behind me and he knelt down and he bit my bottom. That's shocking, that, isn't it? You know, they thought it was absolutely hilarious, but I was horrified. I was it was agony. It was embarrassing. Mm. It well, was invasive. I, I mean, it was just so it's shocking. Assault. It, is, it was an assault. So that is a sexual mm. assault. Absolutely. Without a doubt. And of course, you know, what did I do? I just sort of ooh, took myself off to the loo quietly and had a little cry mm. and just, you know, didn't want to talk about it at all. And I think hopefully what this is doing is, as you said, it's a trigger, isn't it? And women are speaking out now. There are so many forums, so many discussions. Yeah. Lorraine, what, tell us about some of the things that you've enjoyed. Well, you feel like you should remember them and then they're hazy, but they're hazy because you've buried them and you don't mm. want to remember these things. So I've had a man masturbating in front of me in the mm -hmm. business class section of train. I sat down in the carriage. There were two in the two seats thinking mm -hmm. no one will sit opposite me. There was no one else in the train. Um, and it was the, the meal carriage. I was doing a story. I was been about 19 or 20. I think I was uh, a, bit, a bit older, 21, 22, working for Daily Mirror. So I was traveling up to do mm. an interview. An older gentleman in a very smart suit sat opposite me and just began masturbating and mm -hmm. sticking poppers up his nose. And mm -hmm. I kind of got up and went and mentioned something to the guard, but he was still there. I mean, there was no, yeah. Yeah. come back I've had and even you know I've had people showing groping on the tube and showing me their penis on the tube mm. both here and actually in Europe and Italy and Milan when we've been uh, to mm -hmm. shows and more recently I was swimming at the Olympic pool where I was doing some training and I swam past a man in the in the middle lane mm. 
And I knew that was a problem. I knew swimming oh, past man. I overtook him. Because of the millions of years of my progression, mm. I thought, oh, that's a mistake. I shouldn't have done that. I should have waited till he finished. And as I carried on swimming, I went to the end and he punched me in my side and on my feet. No. Because I, he was waiting for me at the end. And I kind of swam to the other end. And I thought I could go out and go and mm-hmm. talk to the lifeguard. But I'm in my swimming costume. I'm quite yeah. vulnerable. I, nothing will happen. The lifeguard was very young. I just thought this puts it. But I should have done because yeah. he will undoubtedly, that's a man who's probably quite violent towards women. I've had my hair pulled, when uh, yeah. my ponytail pulled when I've been jogging. Yeah, It's a very, and I was explaining all this to my children mm. because it, what was happening made me want to tell them because actually it is quite shocking, isn't it? What mm. happened? It is. I mean, and, and talking of children, I mean, Esme's told me things before of, of, of stuff that happened to her, but obviously we had a, a kind of fuller, franker conversation about it, you know, in the last week or so. And I mean, you, you know, the thing she said, because she's at sixth form college now, so she's not wearing a uniform. And she said she was so harassed in her school uniform yeah. as a, you know, a 12, 13 year old girl in a, a, you know, sort of plaid skirt and blazer. And she's a young, she looks very young. She's tiny. She looks younger. So, you know, and she would just be, she was groped on the bus. She's had a car pull up with three guys inside harassing her on the street. And every day she has to change, but she had to change bus when she went to this particular school. And she dreaded walking past this pub because it was guys outside in the middle of the day smoking and they would always harass her. And we're talking about a child, you know. So this is why I think wolf whistling should be a crime. Mm, I know, mm. you know, I was explaining this to a male friend of mine. He said, don't be ridiculous. How can it be a crime? The police have got better things to do. But it's part of a culture of sexism. It's Mm. part of a culture of fear around women. You know, exactly the same thing with my teenage girls. They've had to change their routes to school because Mm. they've been shouted at. Um, I've got a friend whose daughter has eczema. It's incredibly bad in term times because she dreads her journey to school mm. that's just wolf whistling which yeah. you know it's a it's a hatred of and a want of power over, over women yeah. my concern I think the interesting thing will be here is that we don't stay in an echo chamber mm. that we aren't all just telling each other these stories that what we need is all men need yeah. to understand us and educate themselves around how it feels and also to listen to us and to understand that it's male privilege that allows them not to think about what time mm-hmm. they go out, what they wear, mm-hmm. and live constantly in fear. It's, you can't be defensive about that. Men are very mm-hmm. defensive about that. Even my husband actually was quite defensive about that because he's not that man, but yeah. he's part of a culture that allows that man to exist. Yes, and he's yeah. part of a culture that doesn't call it out. I talked to the girls about it because they were talking about the boys at the boys' schools mm. and, the, and in the sixth form. And, one of my daughters was saying this is that the young boys simply don't believe mm. that much of this behavior is wrong. Mm-hmm. The, the milder behavior of sending dick pics, they don't believe is wrong. They don't believe mm. that behavior is anything but funny. And it's, it's that yeah. attitude that we have to change, isn't yeah. it? It's it really boys is. have and to it's... buy into that. Exactly that, because they think, you know, Esme talks about the fact that, um, you know, rape jokes and murder jokes, it's just banter. The boys say it's just banter. And she called it out once last summer when, um, you know, some boy said something really inappropriate about raping a girl who'd maybe passed out she'd been drunk at a party mm. and she called it out and um and they were all like oh calm down calm down it's, it's just banter and it's this this kind of you know we have to educate our sons that this is not okay it is yeah. not just banter it is way more than banter so um yeah it's it's we have to empower them to have the confidence yeah. to call it out because when you're when it's a flex when it's seen as a sign of respect in your male peer group it's mm. quite difficult to be calling that out as a lone voice yeah. isn't it I think yeah yeah and I think it's double standards because some of these guys you know they say oh, well I'd never do that because it's my you know I've got a sister or I've got a yeah but then you know she's seen these same boys saying that looking at pictures on their phones of girls that have you know they've asked for boob pictures of and things like that there is so much that needs yes. to be done it's like there's I think you the know, debate it, has to keep happening yeah, it really it, has to keep yeah. alive this is Paige, the co-host of giggly squad and i want to tell you about a company that i've been loving olive in june olive in june gives you 
everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Now it's time to meet this week's special guest, Maisie Hill. Maisie has been working in reproductive and hormone health for the past 15 years and is qualified in far too many therapies to mention all of them. So here's just a few. Chinese medicine, acupuncture, reflexology, Maya abdominal therapy. She's studied at the Women's Health Institute, has worked as a birth doula and written a best-selling book called Period Power, as well as launching a members group called the Flow Collective for people who want to improve their cycle and harness their hormones. This month, she has a new book out called Perimenopause Power. So we just had to get her on the show to share her knowledge. So welcome to Postcards from Midlife, Maisie. Thanks for having me. Been really looking forward to this. Oh, well, listen, I want to start with something that I read on your website where you state that you are an all round fantastic person. <laughs> I mean, we think you're a fantastic person, but do you want to tell us why you're sharing that on your website? That's so funny. I love that you picked that out. Yeah, I think this is interesting because we're here, of course, to talk about perimenopause. Mm. I think. When you're socialized as female, we're just socialized to care more about what other people think of us and how other people see us. And we spend a lot of our lives in that place. I turned 40 recently. And I think in just recent years, I'm just much more settled in who I am. And I care far less about what others think. I do just think I'm a fantastic person. And it's really interesting because when, you know, like my partner compliments me now, which is very different to maybe what I'd have done a decade ago, he'll make a compliment and I'll go, yep. And, uh, and, you know, and he's just like, yeah, that's what, and he loves it as well. But it's so interesting to me because I think before, you know, I would have just been really lifted up by someone praising me. Whereas now I just know that to be true for me which is wonderful because when you're less affected by praise, you're also less affected by criticism. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it works really beautifully. And I just think that's one of the gifts of midlife is that we just love ourselves more. That's Mm -hmm. brilliant, isn't it? (laughs) Now, your mission is to ensure that women are not held back by their hormones. And that if we understand what's going on with our bodies, we're going to get what we want from life. As we all know, the menstrual cycle has a huge impact on us from a very early age, actually. Everyone's experience is different. But what do you think are the main issues women face around menstrual cycle and hormones from your experience of the women that you deal with on a basis? So I think the main one is just not knowing much about it. You know, I think like that's the biggest thing, regardless of your experience, if you don't have a strong sense of where you are in your cycle or maybe aren't particularly aware of how predictable things are for you or you're just not tracking your cycle at all in terms of dates then you know even before we get into what happens in midlife we're kind of having to work hard when we needn't so you know I like to think of how we deal with the 24 hour period. And, you know, some of us wake up feeling full of beans in the morning. Some people feel, you know, quite lethargic and take a while to get going. Usually there's a point in the day where we feel quite productive and then a point where we like to switch off a bit. And then towards the end of the day, we like to kind of finish our day up so that we can wind down and relax. And really, for me, that's what the menstrual cycle is. It's just a longer version of what we do across the day 
But, you know, imagine if you were going through your day and you hadn't got a clue what the time was or, you know, how you should be feeling. That's a really good analogy. Mm. You're absolutely right, because your book is so detailed on the cycle. Both your books are, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, I like to go in hard on like the evidence based side of things. I'm quite a geek, but I really like making scientific literature accessible for people and, you know, breaking it down in that simple way. And I think, you know, for the people in our lives who don't have cycles and have no idea what our experience is like, it's useful mm. to find other ways of explaining things so that they go, oh yeah, got it. Makes sense. And you talk about bleeding better and the menstrual mindset. Explain that to our listeners. Yeah. So I did a whole episode, I think, on bleeding better. And I was just thinking of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, which is like need for safety, need for belonging, security, all of these kinds of different things and thinking about it in terms of the experience of bleeding. You know, some people, when you have like physical symptoms going on, you can't think about anything else. You've just got to deal with those symptoms. But then we also want to look at the environments in which we have our periods and say the workplace and Bloody Good Period, the charity have done some amazing yeah. research on this recently. But, you know, does it feel safe to have your period at work? And does your career feel safe? Because when you, you say have safe, a what do you mean safe as in able to experience it or talk about it? Because I'm always a campaigner for people not hiding their tampons when they go to the toilet and things yes. like that. Yeah, so it can be those kind of practical things like that, but it can also be like, does your job feel safe if you were to go to your employer and say, look, I have these severe symptoms, I need to take these days mm. off on a regular basis? Or do you feel like your career progress is going to be impacted by that and maybe you wouldn't be in line for promotions if you said that? Does it feel safe to you know, carry mm. a tampon to the toilet, but also does your job feel safe and does your career progression feel safe? So you talk about the importance of understanding our cycle, but how do we go about doing that? So where, if somebody's not got a clue, where do they start? Well, a great place to start is just paying attention to your dates because, you know, mm -hmm. it can be an obvious thing, but often people aren't doing that. And, you know, this is a great time to start doing it. If you haven't already, I have a free cycle tracker people can use from my website, but it's literally you know, just writing down a word or a sentence a day about how you feel physically, any symptoms that you have, anything that might be going on in terms of your energy, your mood, your behavior, things like that. And it's, you know, amazing how uh, detailed it can be. You know, I've been tracking my cycle for years, but I know that there's a point in my cycle when I just get the urge to do handstands, <laughs> you know. <laughs> And for me, it's like, it's always it's like, like me and the old hobnobs, isn't it? I just have <laughs> the urge to eat a hobnob. Oh, well, I have those urges as well. But mm. it's just interesting, like noticing what your body needs mm. and what mm. you need socially as well. Like there's times when I would love to spend time with my partner and there's times when I don't want to have to talk to anyone. And mm. like, I'm good with that. And it doesn't always you know, marry up perfectly in terms of what's going on family life-wise. Like today's my day 20. This is when I just love to focus on my work or have mm. conversations with other women like this. But it's like the time in the week where we can both commit to like spending time together. You would track it very specifically and then link it to sort of physically how you feel. So you would also track, say, if you're cold or hot on those days or particularly yeah. tired at certain times. Yeah. I suppose it's about having knowledge, isn't it? If you know what's coming up, like knowing what the time is, then you can change your diary perhaps uh, yeah. around that. It feels very self-indulgent, doesn't it, though, I guess? Well, it does. But isn't that interesting? Because, you know, to go back to the analogy of what we do across the course of a day, we just accept that, oh, yeah, I do feel a bit tired after lunch, so I'm not going to push myself to do things. You know, I'm still probably going to have to do things, but I'm going to just have a bit of kindness for myself. But when it comes to the cycle, we don't do that. And we do think that it's indulgent. And I think that's a good thing to get over. Yeah. <laughs> Especially you... by the time we're in perimenopause. Because yes, grown up. You're yeah. going to have to do it then if you haven't done it already. Yeah. Now you had terrible periods, didn't you, for about 15 years. T tell me about that. How did you resolve that? Did this lead to you exploring writing the book? So t talk to me about your period journey. Yeah, so I got my period when I was 14 and I just had cramps from the get-go. I went on the birth control pill from 
like 16 to 21, something like that for contraceptive reasons, but also because the period pain was so horrific. And then when I came off the pill, then of course I was confronted with the pain again. So I just went on quite a journey to try and Mm. deal with that pain because, you know, certainly after a number of years, then I was considering surgery to explore what was going on and to look for endometriosis because it was just so severe. But I just tried all sorts of things. I mean, the list of things that I tried is quite extensive. Along the way, the things that really worked for me, I grew more interested in. And then I started training as a practitioner. What sort of things did work for you? Chinese medicine worked really well for me Mm. so acupuncture and herbs and then I went on to get a degree in Chinese medicine as well because I just became very passionate about it so that worked particularly well for me there's a type of massage called the Arvigo techniques of Mayan abdominal therapy that was fantastic yeah Yeah. Yeah. so the combination of those worked really well for me as well as nutritional therapy and I think that's the thing whether we're talking about menstrual cycle health or perimenopause it's often a combination of things that work well. And Mm. sometimes one thing can tip the balance, but it might be because there's been a a foundation that's been built with other things there as well. Throughout that journey, I just got more and more passionate about reproductive health and menstrual health. And that's what led to the book. I think, uh, you know, a lot of girls really suffer with their periods. I mean, mine were shocking as a teenager. I remember I had one that lasted for six weeks. It was so heavy. And like you, the doctor, it was just go on the pill. That seemed to be the only option. And it actually turned out that I had polycystic ovary syndrome. That wasn't something I found out until I was trying to have a baby. And what would you expect your GP to advise? Is that really the only option going on the pill? It isn't the only option, but I suppose it's the most accessible option Mm -hmm. to most people. And, you know, often GPs aren't in a position to recommend other things either Mm. because they aren't aware of them or because the NHS doesn't support other strategies or the funding isn't there. So I do think it's always useful to involve the GP in conversations because Mm -hmm. things like polycystic ovarian syndrome, endometriosis, they can be there from a young age. So, you know, we want to be on it with the young Mm -hmm. people in our lives and making sure that they are accessing the kind of care and investigations that is necessary. Mm -hmm. But the pill doesn't treat issues. It can certainly relieve symptoms. And that was certainly a huge relief to me but it came with other issues for me and it will do for some other people too. So I would say the thing about adolescence and when you start your site work, it's very interesting actually, because what can be going on for the teenagers in our lives is often what can be going on for us in Mm -hmm. our Mm -hmm. in terms of periods being heavy. And, you know, that can often be due to having lots of estrogen, the hormone and not much progesterone and progesterone has a lightening effect on periods. And when you first start menstruating, you don't have much progesterone and your body is also highly sensitive to estrogen and to what's going on in the body. So yeah, you can have heavy periods. Sometimes it's just a bit of time is helpful And there are certainly lots of nutritional and lifestyle strategies that can be brought in, but they're not always going to be accessible. You know, sometimes Mm. it's financial. Sometimes people are in a location where, you know, there isn't an acupuncturist down the Mm. road. So, and sometimes like teenagers don't just, they don't want to have Mm. a bar of it, (laughs) you know. (laughs) But I think one of the things that is worth exploring before we go on to talk about the book is this kind of, There's a slight, I think, still a narrative of shame around having a period or being on your period. They get made fun of it at school still in this time, and it's really embarrassing. And there's also that other narrative that women should just put up with quite a significant amount of pain because it's natural. That's what a, a woman has to put up with. Do you think that is changing? Do you think books like yours are changing that? Yeah, I do think it is changing, but it's still prevalent. And I think it's mm. it's ongoing. I mean, my sister-in-law is a family health nurse and she's been working in clinic for years. And, you know, she's in her 60s. This is the job she's always had in terms of talking about contraception and doing mm. cervical testing and things like that. And she just says, Maisie, no one knows still. It's the same questions. Mm. It's the same mm. stuff. So, you know, I do hope that the last five years and the changing conversation that has happened 
is going to influence things. And certainly that's what I hear from my clients and from people that follow me on Instagram is that it is making a difference for the young people in their Mm. lives. But I also appreciate I may be in a bit of a bubble on Instagram Mm. with people who who want to know about this and who are receptive to it. And I do think there is still shame there. And there can be shame, not just with the experience of bleeding, but what's going on with the rest of the cycle and maybe mood changes and things there, especially when they're quite severe. And some people really struggle to function in the premenstrual phase of their cycle. And that's where a lot of shame can come in. And obviously we're talking about the narrative around periods, but we're very keen on changing the narratives around perimenopause as well. We've been talking about it a lot on this podcast and you have written another fantastic book called Perimenopause Power. As I say, we've talked a lot about the symptoms of perimenopause, but we've never really focused so much on what happens to our periods and there's quite a lot of threads on our Facebook group where women are really suffering you know the the cycle changes bleeding changes can you just explain what's going on at this point in life when you sort of maybe entering perimenopause the impact you can have on periods yes I can so initially what can happen you know really in mid to late 30s uh, it can be later of course but often in late 30s progesterone one of our hormones starts to decline first And as I mentioned earlier, is what can happen with teenagers when progesterone lowers, it can make periods heavier. Mm -hmm. And I think about estrogen and progesterone, which are like the two main hormones of the cycle as being a seesaw Mm -hmm. and, you know, good to have them in balance. But once progesterone goes down, then estrogen starts to go up. And so you can start to get heavier periods. You can start to get uh, more inflammation, more pain, more symptoms like breast tenderness and bloating and kind of what I would classify as symptoms of excess, you know, and all the rage and all the irritability and all the other things that that come with that. When that's happening, you can also get a shorter cycle. So my clients will often say to me, I just feel like I'm whizzing around my cycle and I'm going from having a heavy full-on period and then all of a sudden I'm in the premenstrual phase and I'm having a hard time there and then I'm bleeding again and it doesn't feel like there's much respite so that is kind of I would say the earlier stage of perimenopause Mm -hmm. and that is often like estrogen can be very high then it can be the highest it's ever been but then what happens and I'm making this out to seem like it's a nice linear straightforward process it's not always But then what happens is estrogen starts to decline and that's when the cycle, the length of time from one period to the next can be more drawn apart. Mm -hmm. And that's when you might start to get other symptoms like joint pain, vaginal dryness, your period uh, becomes further apart, might become lighter and you kind of get more what I would say is like deficiency symptoms. Mm -hmm. But as I was talking to a client of mine earlier today, you can go from having a very short cycle to having a long cycle and get, you know, the real mixture of symptoms in between. So as I said, it's, it's not the neat process that Mm. we might prefer it to be. It's difficult to track that then at that stage, isn't it? Whereas sort of between once we come out of teenage and go through childbearing, we are tracking it to a fairly regular thing. But once you hit perimenopause, it's impossible to track and expect yeah well it can become harder but you know like with the client I was speaking to today she did have that strong sense of that the cycle that she was just in that was longer that she didn't ovulate in it and we were kind of talking Mm. about uh, the things that she noticed being different and then the emergence of symptoms in that cycle that were perhaps more to do with being in a low estrogenic state rather than the high one that she's used to being in yeah and what kind of advice did you give her because obviously it's it's Mm. we can see that her understanding it and understanding what's happening to her is is a really important first step isn't it but what what can you do in a situation like that this particular client of mine without going into too many details but she has been taking progesterone and having that hormonal support so we were just talking about you know is this the time to start considering does she want to bring in estrogen into the mix mm-hmm. now as well mm-hmm. and let's just do a bit of a check-in and see what other symptoms you might be having and I was talking about how estrogen has a huge impact on cognitive ability and verbal recall and Brain mood. Fog. Mm-hmm. yeah and on resilience as well and she was suddenly like oh hold on <laughs> all of those things have mm-hmm. been happening but I think that's the thing is that 
once you start getting that, it's harder to keep track of things or to have yeah. that. Well, you can't remember the name of anything. So you yeah. keep a track of anything. You don't know what it's yeah, called. Exactly. So I think that's the thing of this is why we want to be in the habit of being responsive to what's going on mm. and to be in conversation with health professionals uh, who are going to help us. Yeah. Well, how wonderful that someone like you knows this, because actually this isn't something that every NHS GP mm. knows, is it? That's that's the trauma. So you say yeah. in the book, though, that you remember your mother going through perimenopause. I didn't know it at the time, but I had that conversation mm. with her later on in life. Once I came mm. to all this work, I went back and I was like, mum, tell me what your pregnancies were like, what postpartum, what your menopause. And I like really got that information from her. And that's when I was able to go, oh, so when I was a teenager and you were quite, I'm going to say volatile and, you know, (laughs) (laughs) um, you know, I felt that and I felt like there wasn't enough space, I suppose, for both of our experiences. Me as Mm. someone who was just starting to menstruate Mm. and have a cycle and her as someone who was at the other end of things, but having equally a hard time and, I think, you know, when I look at my son who is about to turn five and, you know, he is very clued up on all sorts of stuff to do with the cycle and bodies and things like that. So it feels I just want to create a space where my experience counts in our family home and like they're aware of what's going on and like everyone knows that there's times when I just want to walk out the door and go for a stomp up the coast and be on my own. And that's not a problem. And it doesn't mean anything about anyone. It's just like, this is what I need and I'm going to do it. We've had a man leave a comment on one of our podcast subscribes saying that he is listening to this podcast because he wants to understand what his wife's going through. And that's, that's kind of what we need, isn't it? Yeah. And that's what I found amazing about my books is how often women buy them for themselves and then suddenly spot them on their male partner's bedside table and they've robbed it off them. (laughs) Um, We should just call all these books. I'm not mad. shouldn't we? (laughs) Um, But it's really amazing. And I just think that's something fantastic is that, you know, the, the men in our lives do want this information because they it it benefits everyone Mm, having these mm. conversations part of this conversation and discovery and journey that Lorraine and I have been on over this last year and a half was the you know the fact that we thought that perimenopause starts in your early 40s but you actually think it starts in your late 30s we were talking about this weren't we Maisie yeah so menopause itself as your listeners probably know the average age is 51 in the UK and that's when your periods stop Mm -hmm. but perimenopause I would say typically happens in the 40s but often those hormonal shifts can start to happen in uh, the late 30s as well and there is you know some research that's been done where the researchers have come up with the term very early perimenopause and that's not early menopause or premature menopause it's just starting to get those like telltale signs fluctuations yeah Yeah. and often that means that you know I think the, the classical definition of being in perimenopause is when your cycle length varies by seven or more days mm-hmm. but often you know and this has been my experience and often the experience of my clients is that you know it shortens by like three days or four days or there's just a bit of variation and around the time of the period there might be insomnia night sweats mood changes and I think that's the sign that we're like tiptoeing our way in mm-hmm. and then as the years continue, uh, there's more variation that kind of meets the the classical definition of perimenopause. So I think that's an interesting one to be aware of because you've spoken about often you don't know it's perimenopause until you're in the thick of it. Mm. And that's why I want to bring attention to this conversation. Notice that, oh, actually, it can explain a lot of the stuff that's happening before it's so significant. When it comes to HRT, you prefer the term menopausal hormone therapy, which is actually I've heard quite a lot recently. And actually you're very good on HRT. It's not a binary thing. You don't have to do one or the other. We get a lot of women saying, I don't want to take HRT. I want to do it naturally as if that's some kind of alternative. (laughs) I can feel my pelvic floor being activated. (laughs) I wish I could feel mine. (laughs) I've had less children. (laughs) The whole 
natural, unnatural binary is just not helpful when it comes to this topic. And I think a lot of people will be surprised reading Perimenopause Power about how my opinions and thoughts on it and how I've looked at the evidence base that's there. You're very scientific. I am. And we just have to drop this natural or not think. Because I often say, well, if you didn't have any issues with HRT, if you thought it was going to be the best thing ever and no concern about breast cancer or all of those other things we've been led to believe it contributes Mm. to, would you take it? Like if we could just wave a magic wand and they're like, yes. And like, okay, well, why, why aren't you considering it then? And they're like, well, because of the breast cancer and because of the heart attacks and things like that. And then you're like, well, actually all that data. True facts. Yeah. 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 So, um, I think a lot of women are holding themselves back from taking it because of those fears. But, you know, we just have to change the conversation there. And I know, you know, you're doing a lot of work around that through the podcast and things, but it's just, it's not the devil we've been led to believe it is. And how is menopausal hormone therapy different to hormone replacement therapy? Is it just semantics? Yeah, it is. But I think it's HRT, hormone replacement therapy, kind of, for me at least, it implies that, that we like should have different hormone levels at this stage of life and and we don't so whilst i fully support the use of hormones at this stage of life i don't think we should be under the illusion that we're replacing what we ought to have hormones do decline right. at yeah. this stage of life even though great to support them and, and bring mht or hrt in but for some reason they do decline and also there's no natural way of replacing a hormone <laughs> i mean that's not you there's nothing you can eat or take and yeah. i guess it's a sign isn't it again of this just a giant amount of confusion around it and you know women being led down certain paths by misinformation and I think patriarchy slightly ignoring the importance of this part field of medicine (laughs) that I think they could apply more effort to. So I think people have to read your book because we can't possibly go through all the stuff that you recommend. But the lifestyle changes you recommend are quite big. The kind of reduction or completely removing of alcohol, spicy foods. If you were to say to women going through this now, and I know one can't generalize, but what are the main things we could do in perimenopause that would make us feel a bit better physically? Say no. Saying no more than you say yes. yes. I just Stress. think that <laughs> that like has to be a priority because often you know, women are trying to do the things that might help them. Someone will say, oh, well, I can't get by without my restorative yoga class because that just really helps me to relax. And I always have a great night's sleep after I go. But then they're like, oh, well, I I didn't get to go because I was helping my teenager with their homework. And you're like, oh, who else was in the household? Oh, yeah, my partner was home, blah, blah, blah. Oh, what were they doing? (laughs) You, You know, start to look at that. I do find that the experience of perimenopause, at some point your hormones start to take care of this for you and you do just start prioritizing yourself and caring less about what other people think of you. So it becomes perhaps easier to say no, but it's good if we can start doing that in advance because, you know, being exhausted, running around after everyone else, taking on everyone else's problems that's not going to help perimenopause. So for me, I like to start from that place and then look at bringing in all the other stuff as well. Yeah, just because it's a ripple effect, I guess, once you take mm. that pressure off, people can clearly see the other bits of their life and make the changes. Yeah. Um, yeah. On it. So part of the dedication in, in the new book is to your ovaries and how amazing they are, which I just loved. Um, so should we just take a moment to appreciate our reproductive systems while they might cause problems they are also a thing of wonder aren't they really they are and I think that's the thing when you go through perimenopause and then those ovarian hormones start to decline then you realize what they've been doing all of these years and you know no matter your experience of your cycle estrogen helps you to think straight empowering (laughs) you it's been the petrol of your life hasn't it Yeah, exactly. So our hormones do so much for us, but most of the time they just get a bad rap and Mm. being hormonal is seen as a bad thing. So, but, you know, for me, being able to write these books has been Mm. driven so much by my cycle and my experience Mm -hmm. of my cycle and has like really informed the whole process. So yeah, I'm very grateful to my ovaries. 
<laughs> and so two years ago, this is an, another interesting fact about Maisie. I watched one of your Instagram lives, so I know quite a lot of interesting facts about you. Two years ago, you were self-diagnosed as autistic. And then you had this confirmed by a psychiatrist. So that's in your late 30s. What impact has that had on you and your life? Because it's rarer in females, isn't it, to be diagnosed as autistic or, or women are yeah. supposedly better able to cover and adapt and mimic aren't they so it's been really interesting because I think it's starting to get those hormonal shifts as being what's kind of one mm. of the things that's helped me to uncover that I am autistic because it did just get to a point where I just couldn't put on the mask anymore and I think that's mm. often Stressful. true whether whether you're autistic or not that's a common theme in this stage yeah. of life <laughs> <laughs> so there was that going on and also when period power came out I've always been strongly affected by alcohol and it's very strong depressant for me I don't have to drink much to feel the effect and so when period power was coming out I thought I'm just going to stop drinking for a few months so that I know I'm on the case should I get called up for an interview or something like that and it just felt really great not to drink so I stayed with it I think what's really coming in strong for me now around the age of 40 is that I need a lot of time on my own. Why? Well, uh, I think that's a common yeah. midlife. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. God, I can diagnose you as midlife on, yes. on that front. Exactly. Well. But you've also got these tattoos everywhere and you've, you've lived in New York. You've been, have you been married three times? I feel I've read. Yeah. What's yeah. your life sounds fantastic. I feel like it's a life I wish I'd have led. Yeah, it has been fantastic. I lived in New York in my 20s for a few years and I studied fine art at university there and I worked in a tattoo studio and was apprenticing as a tattoo artist. So I think that was a stage in life where I didn't know what I wanted to do or who I was and I was just experimenting with different things. And then thankfully my cycle, my periods pointed me in the right direction even though it absolutely mm. sucked to go through that but yeah. that eventually got me there yeah I've uh, had a, a colorful life I believe oh. <laughs> Maisie you have had a fantastic life you've given us some fantastic advice and you are a fantastic woman so thank you so much for joining us on postcards from midlife oh thank you for having me it's been fantastic and for anybody who's interested in getting hold of Maisie's new book, Perimenopause Power, we have a competition prize on our Facebook group. So do go and check that out. I'm looking forward to this How to Win at Midlife, Trish, because I really want to know if tapping, a little bit of tapping mm. worked for you. So I wrote a piece about it about 15 years ago, and I have to say I was sceptic, as I am about most things, but actually I found it did make a difference. So, Trish, hit me up with your tapping tales. My tapping tales, right, well, I'll tell you. Um, so actually what happened was I met a really interesting woman on a, a virtual networking event, um, and she's called Poppy Delbridge, and she's a coach. She runs a business called House of Possibility, and she's an advanced EFT practitioner. And um, in case you're wondering, EFT stands for Emotional Freedom Techniques. And she took me through something called rapid tapping. We did, I did a session with her yesterday, and it was really, really good. Um, what do you tap? Well, basically... <laughs> That stroking, isn't it? Stroking Margot's lovely fur. Let me explain what it's about first. Of all. So it's all about calming the nervous system and switching off the kind of stress responses that, that we have. And it's about clearing away negativity and creating space for emotions to kind of come up. And then you can recognize these emotions and start kind of tapping into the kind of positive and true for you emotions. And the tapping, it's actually physical tapping that you're doing, creates neural pathways and seals in the positivity. So what you do is you, you, you're using your fingers, your five yeah. fingers on each hand. So I'm flicking them here in front of you. And I'm just, you just sort of gently tap them on your head. <laughs> I know it looks mad. You're gently tapping them on your head. And then you move down to around your eyes and under your nose and on your chin. You do this privately somewhere. You do this well. You can do it. I'll tell you what you're tapping do. You you can do it one-to-one -one with Poppy. I'll give you the details for that in a minute. And you can also, she's got this, um, she's got this amazing kind of virtual course that you can do if you're What interested. do you feel like afterwards? Right, so How what, hard do you tap? Right, it's very Could nice. I tap Touch you? <laughs> I'm quite looking forward to tapping, Trish. Yeah, but you don't like touching people, remember? No, I don't like <laughs> Basically, what was happening was I'd been feeling a bit tense and anxious. No shit, Sherlock. <laughs> I 
just can't get these thoughts about the future continually scrambling around my head. What, where will I be in five years time? What will I be doing? And I think that comes from a place of yeah. having always been employed and, you know, so now I knew I'm where not. my career was. And now I'm not employed. I'm employed by myself. I'm self-employed or kind of partly employed with you. And that's just, what you've got to tap about. <laughs> laughing, having to do I'm this. your future. It's oh terrifying. It was sort of this scrambling around in my head and I didn't know what it all meant mm. and doing and I just wanted it all to stop. So anyway, this session, I worked on that with Poppy. It was only 20, 25 minutes. And I did come out of it feeling super calm super kind of like knowing what to do if those feelings and emotions came into my head and I've got this kind of positive affirmations now that I use when I'm having those thoughts it just it's about shifting mindset and taking it into a different space and um and I really enjoyed it and I have actually signed up for the course now you can get it on Poppy Delbridge's website it's called rapidtapping.com and it's kind of a series of videos and things that you can do with her and use this tapping and I'm kind of loving it so that's did you feel physically better to them I felt quite buzzy it feels okay, quite yeah. zingy yeah. you have to do it every day you can do short bit every day you can do long bits but I'm going to be using my power hour you know which we talked about good a couple of weeks ago I'm going to be hmm. tapping 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 away in my power hour I like the it. next week so tell me about you because you've been focusing on breathing that's been your reset breath work that's been my mindset reset because I guess that's what we're talking about here we just tried both tried a couple of resets so I've just finished 30 days of yoga with Adrian on YouTube uh, Adrian Mishler who's just the brilliant brilliant mm-hmm. yoga teacher on YouTube and it's a 30-day breathwork course a lot of learning how to breathe it's just I found it amazing I would absolutely recommend it to anybody it's only half an hour you don't have to be good at yoga to do it but it taught me so many different ways of breathing to calm you down and actually to make you just feel amazing um we did that they did a bit of um ocean breath which is Ooh. when you breathe it in it feels like a wave and you breathe it out the course teaches you how to breathe from your stomach how to breathe out and then this thing called the square breath which is so mm-hmm. simple so you breathe in for four hold mm-hmm. for four breathe out for four hold for four Honestly, two minutes of that and you just, your head is clear. You're much, Mm. much more relaxed, much calmer. So I looked at lots of other breathing after I've done that because breathing has been part of my kind of learning journey with swimming. I had a swimming lesson with a free diver. I mean, they're amazing. They really know how to hold their breath. She's called uh, Nicola Jubert. She's called Nick's Oceans on Instagram. But she really taught me about slowing the breath down, particularly when you're panicky. So it's just really taking that moment. And then... Nadia Narain, the yoga teacher, has this amazing little four-minute practice that's on YouTube. If you just Google it, it's Kappa Palati Bharti. Let me spell it because I can't say it. K-A-P-A-L-A-B-H-A-T-I. Four minute and it's a real reset breath. You could just do it first thing every morning. And then I found Breath Pod which I've done a couple of mornings this week with Stuart Sandman. And it's just 20 minutes on an Instagram live. And it's just mm-hmm. so good. At make, actually, do you know what that did? That gave me loads and loads of energy. Mm. So it's been quite a journey for me with breathing. There's a wonderful book by James Nestor called Breath, mm-hmm. which basically explores the physiology of it, that actually we all breathe too fast. We do too many. We do, do something like 18 breaths a minute and we should be doing six or seven. Oh so God. it's worth looking at that. So I've ordered that as well. It's not meditation, which is no. ideal for me. For yes, but there are two <laughs> other things you could look at. Yoga mm. Nidra, which is mm. yoga and breathing. It's a very specific yoga course. And also Sophie True, T-R-E-W on Instagram. She does some really lovely short breathing things. Can I tell you about one other thing I found this week, which is a bit okay. breath related. One it's more, a new book, which was a number one in the New York Times by the holistic psychologist, Dr. Nicole LaPera. She's just, just brilliant. Mm. It's about self-healing and it's called How to Do the Work, the book. It's only just come out. I do think everyone should have a look at that because even though I am against all things like that, I'm an yeah. get a grip generation. You're, you're turning that way. I know you're I've turned into way. someone who reads mm-hmm. books about self-healing. How ridiculous, Trish. So there we go. We've given you how to win at midlife, quick ways to breathe and tap your way to a better midlife. Okay, Trish, here we are, end of the show. I was going to write a limerick, you know, one of my famous limericks oh, for yes. this part of the show, because the word noodle, you would think, has a lot of things that rhyme with it, wouldn't you? 
turns out it doesn't. It doesn't. And it's quite difficult to write things with or around. So uh, I haven't been able to do that for you, so I'm really sorry about that. So I got nothing. So just, t- just tell me, where <laughs> okay. have you been time-wise? No funny intro for right. you. No, okay. Well, I went into the sitting room after dinner the other night and Neil was on the sofa already. Oh, no. Like, no. With Top Gear on. And obviously, oh, you know, God. that's just not happening. And so obviously I reached for the remote but actually, there was an interesting Loved bit. Him to death on... and left. Oh no! <laughs> there was an interesting bit with the, you know, the guys, the bantering guys, where mm. they were uh, talking about the cars their dads drove, and oh, they are kind of un- these cars were under these, you know, covers, and they took them off, and they got really emotional. I kind of quite enjoyed oh. that, and thought it was quite sweet, you know, with Freddie Flintoff talking about his dad, Paddy McGuinness, you know, Paddy well. McGuinness, and mm. I don't know the other one. But anyway. <laughs> And there, oh, there's uh, your review, Top Gear producers. Yeah. <laughs> oh, dear. Oh, dear. But anyway, obviously, as soon as they started driving around a track, oh, I kind of, that was switched off and put something much more interesting on. But anyway, I thought it inspired me to do the same, but talk about my mum's cars. Let's talk about oh. ours. Because, well, I mean, Dad had the fancy Ford Granada, which I have to say was a company car. And Mum was left to drive this sort of knackered old Vauxhall Viva. Mm. <laughs> rust bucket. But God, she loved that car. It was so, like for her, when she learned to drive, we were about five years old. She couldn't drive before then. She had to walk everywhere with us in prams and, and all the rest of it. She loved that car. But whenever she drove us to school, I just remember sort of sliding down the back yeah. seat so nobody could see well, me in it. Oh, uh, you and wait she, till I tell you what my oh mum had. Oh, but she was so kind and she'd stop to pick up other kids. And I'd be like, oh, please, mum, don't know. <laughs> don't know. And I'd you know, have to get out the front seat and push the seat forward because it was only two doors and we were all sitting on each other's laps. Oh. And anyway, it was, I just <laughs> your old mum and her car that she loved. Oh, mums and cars. My mum had, I think it was a three-wheeler. <laughs> was Robin a- Reliant. No, it was a car called a DAF, D-A-F. Oh, I never heard of that. Um, I mean, you can't imagine how embarrassing that was. So I went to school in Cornwall. Mm. But what was extraordinary about this car is my mum bought it. She said, I bought it from a woman called Daphne. And I said, who? What's her name? She said, De Maurier, Daphne De Maurier. No, she, she did bought, not. bought it from Daphne De Maurier. And yeah. she didn't know who Daphne De Maurier was. She did, I think. She was yeah. just, you know, pulling yeah. my leg. But honestly, it was purple. Can you imagine right. arriving at a comprehensive... Okay. In that, I'm amazed I wasn't clubbed to death, quite frankly. Well, in the I have to say that if the Top Gear producers are listening, that, that's yeah. a new idea for there them. There you go. <laughs> Maybe when we, we drive have cars, us on the show. Whole new... <laughs> Driving box all week. Now, listen, I've been back for quite a long way back. Mm. I've been, when were you born, Trish? Which year? Uh, 1967. 19... Oh, no, I've been 68. I know you were 68. I've been back to 1964 because right. I was perplexed by a baby name survey, which oh. revealed that the Top baby names of 2020. Listen to this. The top yeah. three baby names for girls. Luna. What? Aurora. Ooh. And Maeve. Okay. <laughs> this has come from Namesbury. But it made the news just because 2020 was really unusual. The names mm. like Olivia and Emma were toppled mm. off the thing. And obviously everyone went, we were not of our right minds last year, <laughs> were we? <laughs> so we've called our babies strange names. Strange but names. How will this play out in Mm. 50 years' time, I felt? So I thought I'll have a quick look back 50 years Mm. or so to the top baby names. So what do you think were the top baby names in 1964? uh, We're just talking girls' names here. I'm going to say Sharon and Tracy. No. Nearly. Um, But they're they're in the 1,500 and things like that now, these names. Mm. The top three baby names of 1964 were Susan. Oh, yes. Julie. Julie? Karen. Yes. They would be friends with Sharon and Tracy as well. Do you know any famous Susans? I could only think of one. Go on. Sontag. Oh, Susan Sontag. Uh, Susan Sarandon. She's very famous. And uh, Susan from the Archers (laughs) in the village shop. It does sort of say something. So mm-hmm. in in fifty odd years time, Luna, Aurora, and Maeve yeah. will be made fun of as middle aged yes, women, exactly <laughs> going about their life. And, and Sharon, Tracy, Karen, Susan, and Julie Susan, will be Julie, the coolest Karen, Jesse, names. Yes. Hurrah for Susan, Julie, Karen, and Co. That brings us to the end of this episode of Postcards from Midlife. Thanks for listening. And if you enjoyed it, please tell all your friends and all the midlife women you know. And remember to subscribe on your podcast provider and rate and review us too. And for those who ask, 
we put all the things that we mention in our How to Win at Midlife or anywhere in this podcast on our private Facebook group. Yes, yeah, so don't forget to join us on the Facebook group. You can also find us on Instagram or you can email us at hello at postcardsfrommidlife.com. Goodbye. Bye. <laughs>